very good morning to you, Katie McDonald. Good morning, Sarah Jane King. How be you this morning? Um, not too bad. Not too bad. Good. Um, yeah, it's Sunday. Sunday's always a bizarre day. Um, yeah, because you've also got that, you know, before school feeling that I don't think anyone ever gets over. Uh, do you know so... what, Katie? It's so funny that you say that because yesterday I posted on my Instagram. Um, actually, <laughs> that I feel so lucky that I never. I don't have that. Um, I just, I don't have Sunday night blues. I mean, I don't, or well, it would be Friday night blues for me, really, because my main gig is this, you know. Um, but I, 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 that is a testament to how much I absolutely love my job. I just never, I never get to a Friday and think, oh, well, she's got yeah. to do the show tomorrow. So I, I, I actually can't relate on that one. But uh, for those of you who do have Sunday blues, sorry. And hopefully we can we can make them a little bit, we can stave them off a little bit uh, between 7 and 10 on a Sunday morning. Katie, your first story for us is a really interesting one. Uh, new laws have been introduced, uh, giving workers the right to disconnect. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's legislation that was passed last week and essentially what it's done is it said the companies can face fines if they penalise employees um, for failing to respond to work-related communications. So that's telephone calls and emails, also for um, doing overtime work and not being paid. And one would think that, oh, you know, how could someone not be paid for working over their working hours, but it happens, and it happens a lot. And often I think well, you know, people are too worried to log in those extra hours just in case, yeah, they get sort of penalised in some way. So they pass this bill, and, yeah, if you're a worker, uh, you can ignore calls and messages outside of your working hours. Now does sort of define things like unreasonable communications and such. But our Prime Minister said, I suppose fair enough, but if you're not being paid 24 hours a day, you shouldn't be penalised um, if you're not working 24 hours a day or if you're not contactable 24 hours a day. So um, this has just been passed. There are going to be some amendments to the bill um, that are made because they, yeah, there won't be any sort of criminal charges, but there will be fines introduced and it'll be interesting to see too because well how it works because it might be legally um, or someone might have the legal right to not take a call but often you know for fear of losing your job even though you know you're in the right legally people yeah will will take those calls now the opposition uh, which is uh, more sort of you know right-wing-leaning parties, they've said that the moment they come into power, they're going to repeal this legislation. Because you can well imagine, Sarah Jane, um, it doesn't go down very well with businesses and the corporate world. So um, it's going to be interesting because I know that I'm not alone in having worked in industries where you were or you did always have to be contactable, but I didn't have a problem with that. Because I loved what I was doing. That I, said, mm, yeah. I don't know how this works across the board because because some jobs will 
will require th- that more than others, right? Like, yeah. like I'm thinking about this. You know, I've got a, a number of. I do a number of things. I'm thinking about this job. Um, if, and I, I'm, I'm also thinking about how often I contact Vicky well after hours and send her messages saying, "How about this for topics or whatever it might be." But um, and I. I don't understand how it can be uniformly applied. Like I, I, I agree with the, the I, I agree with it in theory, um, because too many of us, and I, I'm using the, you know, the word us quite loose, fast and loose, but too many of us are really stressed at work, overworked, underpaid. There are people for whom there is an unreasonable amount of contact that comes, um, you know, up. After work, there is an unreasonable amount of work that's not reflected in in their in their remuneration. But I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's so industry specific, isn't it? There are some jobs that you will need to be contacted. For example, in this job, if if last night um, or if yesterday I had gone home and then uh, you know somebody in some high profile person had died or you know been arrested or something it would have been necessary for Vicky and I to communicate for her to communicate with me um I couldn't just go well we'll just leave it till tomorrow morning that's not how this gig works and there's an awful lot of other gigs that don't work like that so I just I don't know and and I think what it highlights is that there is advantage taken by employers and that's that's what the problem is the fact that you even that you even have to legislate to say um don't overwork us don't overstep the boundary between my work life and my that seems extraordinary that seems like that that's a problem um within corporates rather than uh, the the fact that it needs to be legislated against is is your is your number one problem in my in my humble opinion um, Look, it's interesting because um, a big thing in Australia is the work-life balance. And, you know, we get a lot of uh, people that manage to emigrate. For example, you know, Irish and Scottish people and people from the United States. And often when you uh, look at why they chose to come to Australia, it's the work-life balance. But that said, there are certain industries and having um, been with the same um, employer as you are, I have no problem, but I knew, and I think as you know, that by choosing to be in a certain industry, you you do have to make yourself available. You really do. And then the other thing is too, how urgent, okay, let's put radio aside, for example. Yeah. How urgent is it? Like I, you know, I have a couple of friends in the legal field. Absolutely. Now, what happened before cell phones and emails and things like that? But they're being contacted continually. Yeah, um, you know that kind of a thing. So it is interesting, and it'll be interesting to see how it does work. And also, if it's worthwhile for someone to take their employer to task over it. I, I had a friend of mine, a, a former colleague of mine. I need to be really careful about what, what I say now, but they ended up working for a a media house that was not based. That the CEO of this media house was not based in South Africa and mm-hmm. wherever he was in the world at any given time <laughs> looking at Vicky to see if she knows what I'm talking about whenever <laughs> whenever wherever he was in the world at any given time and he traveled a lot he would expect everybody else who was 
employed by him to be on his time zone, which meant that you had people setting alarms for three o'clock in the morning to have an editorial meeting. Mm. That is ludicrous. I mean, that yeah. is absolutely outrageous. Um, my friend didn't stay long. I need to move on before I start. <laughs> the jigsaw identification suddenly reveals who I'm talking about. <laughs> I mustn't do that. Yeah. Um, tell me about this uh, psychiatrist from Sydney who has made global history um, by administering MDMA for a patient's severe PTSD. Now, we knew that, I think it was last year, because I remember interviewing somebody who had campaigned uh, for the legalisation of psychedelics, essentially, for for therapeutic use. Tell me more about Dr. Ted Cassidy, Katie. Well, this is a thing that Australia last year was the first country um, globally to uh, allow MDMA psychedelics Uh, to be prescribed for mental health issues and primarily for PTSD. Now, it's it's an area of, when I say contention, um, there's still not a lot known. And there are those in the industry, um, and a little bit of a disclaimer, that is an industry that I'm sort of in, apart from the broadcasting, but they're unsure yet as to how it's going to work because, you know, has there been enough research done and so on. Now, there are two psychiatrists who have been uh, approved to prescribe and one of them is this Dr. Ted Cassidy and he practices in Sydney. But he had to, well, he prescribed this um, dose of MDMA. You do it over three sessions and, yeah, it's not just one kind of session but it's it's a process. And he prescribed it for a patient. He had to do it in Melbourne at a borrowed clinic because, you know, we have these, yeah, different states, different rules. New South Wales is the only state where if you prescribe it or if you want to administer it as a treatment, you have to do it in a hospital. So um, they basically, yeah, in late January, this patient travelled from New South Wales, as did Dr. Cassidy, and he administered the first dose of MDMA. Now... The patient um, involved has wanted to remain anonymous. Um, I suppose that's understandable. But it's so far, or from this experience, it's shown some positive results because essentially uh, coming from the doctor and coming from the patient anonymously, it was felt that they achieved within a day what would take a year's worth of therapy to achieve because the thing with post or PTSD is a lot of people would know is when you do experience trauma, it's very, very difficult to access those memories, to talk about it. Um, It's one of the big things. So, you know, you can't help someone if they cannot access their feelings and memories. So, so far, so good. Uh, Apparently, there was no hiccup, there were no problems with the actual administering of it. It's quite a thing, Sarah Jane, you've got to have a couple of doctors, you've got to have a therapist, you've got to have um, nurses or qualified nurses around, so it's not just a person sitting with a doctor. So they've ticked a lot of boxes um, with regards to the safety of it. But it's been watched from all over the world to see what happens. Um, I find it absolutely fascinating. I also do. Because... Yeah, it's it's incredible. And look, obviously, 
yeah, as I said, it's got to be followed. It's got to be properly um, done. But the strides that you can make, yeah, uh, it's just it's it's incredible. Listen, I tell so, you what, Katie, um, I, I've I've always I for a long time I the thought of because I didn't fully understand it. I didn't I didn't I couldn't separate. And I think with my with my history around drug use and, and drug abuse, I, I I couldn't separate that from the therapeutic element, right? And so I was just kind of running scared from it and I, I was absolute, no, no, no. Started reading into it a little bit more and, and, and speaking to people um, who have who have who I've have either journeyed on on ayahuasca, for example, or or had some mm. some form of um, therapeutic intervention. And the results, you know, I, I'm, it's a hill I'm prepared to die on. The results seem to speak for themselves again. I'm not suggesting people go and, you know, lock themselves in a room and just take, you know, unfiltered amounts of MDMA or or anything like that. But under the conditions that you've described, the results seem to be that this is helping people dealing with 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 deep seated trauma. And, yeah, I I find it absolutely fascinating. Katie, we don't have to. mm. Just there are limits, you um, you know, someone who has suffered psychosis and things like that. Yeah, it's. It's a no go. Sure, but yeah, sure. Sorry, turn to breath. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's from what I gather from this conversation that I had last year um, with one of the campaigners to to legalize um, psychedelics in therapy. It's a highly regulated. Um, it, it's a highly mm. regulated enterprise. Katie, we don't have time for your last story. I'm so sorry, but um, you've left us with a lot of food for thought uh, around this. Thank you very much indeed. We will uh, chat to you again next week. Katie McDonald, uh, of course, joins us every uh, Sunday morning for. Uh, the news from down under and surround.